Peace to you. Welcome to The Naked Truth. We are going to pick up in the book of First Kings with chapter 8. Um, it's another long chapter going into the construction and erection of the temple and the buildings that Solomon had commissioned um, for his reign since he's now king instead of David. So you want to read along with me? Well, let's begin with verse 1. Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel, to King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion. So Solomon, again, is uh, King David's son. He's the king now. He's summoning all the religious heads there to basically dedicate the temple that he's had built. And beginning with having the ark of the covenant, the same uh, like we read it before, the Raiders of the Lost Ark reference, same Ark, um, brought, being brought there to where he is. Verse 2, therefore all the men of Israel assembled with King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ephanim, uh, which is the seventh month. So you'd have to look up a Hebrew calendar to see which month that correlates with in modern times, but it's not the same um, layout as we use in uh, in modern times as far as the calendar um, but setting us though that's when it is here um, that it's happening with the temple with the building with what Solomon is up to verse 3 so all the elders of Israel came and the chief and the priests took up the ark somehow the elders made it to where they've been summoned and the priests they're the ones who are allowed to handle the ark and again, the ark is just a chest, basically, with a jar of manna, the Ten Commandments, and uh, Aaron's rod, his staff, in it. Those are the only things listed specifically when we read about it previously. Um, and that's what's being brought. Verse 4, then they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tabernacle meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. So those are who are allowed to handle those articles. They're considered holy relics, and anyone else um, is not permitted to touch them. That's why they're being brought up by the priests and Levites. Verse 5, also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered, multitude. So the animals are dying. They're killing off animals as sacrifices as part of the dedication almost certainly like a barbecue like we've read previously verse 6 then the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim so again the cherubim were not like humans with wings they're like animals with wings four-legged beasts with beat with wings um and they're what are set up as part of the the the, hmm, the place where the ark is to be set. Verse 7, For the cherubim spread their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. So, again, that's how it's set up as its place of worship, where the ark goes and the angels, as we think of them, the cherubim, spreading out their wings to cover the um the um, ark and the mercy seat and so forth in its design 
Um, and that's interesting that they have wings here. They're described as specifically having wings that are spread out. And yet some um, preachers will tell you, no, angels don't have wings. No, the cherubim don't have wings. It says it right there. They have wings. And and these are just the the, the statues, basically, that are made to mimic the cherub, cherubs, uh, cherubim, I should say, that um, they're designed after. Verse 8. So if they have them, then the ones they're designed after probably had them too. Otherwise, why would they add them? The wings, that is. Verse 8. The poles extended so that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside. And they are there to this day. So they're not there to this day, 2023. They were there to this day at the time where this was documented, where this book of First Kings was documented, they still existed. So that lets us know this is someone retrospectively looking back on what's happened to that point. Verse 9, nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone, which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. So that, there you go right there. Those two stone tablets fit inside that chest, that ark. Um, so it wasn't all those chapters and chapters of dogma and uh, religious ordinances and statutes that were set up later by religion. Instead, it was just those two tablets. And we read there, the two tablets just had what are called the Ten Words, Ten Commandments, nothing more. That's what's on the stat tablets. That's what's inside the ark. Um, but also, um, it, before it mentioned a jar of the manna that the people were fed being in there, and also Aaron's rod. But here, those aren't mentioned as being part of what's in it. Instead, it's saying nothing was in the ark except those two tablets of stone. So I guess over time, they lost the jar of manna, and they've lost the um, Aaron's rod. Verse 10, and it came to pass when the, when the priest came out, of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. So now the um um it seems like supernatural things are happening when the priests came back out. Now a cloud has filled the place. Verse eleven, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So now they're saying it's not just any old cloud, it's actually a a, a, glor a glorious appearance of the presence of the Lord. I'm just saying it's the Lord because that's how it reads, whether we believe that's God Almighty or not. I personally don't because like we've read before in the New Testament, no one has seen the Lord at any time, seen the Lord or heard, seen the Lord's form or heard the Lord's voice at any time. Um, and paraphrasing, but that's what the New Testament tells us. So believing this is an article of faith, which I imagine most all of the Bible ultimately is just something that you have to go by faith to believe but the point being not all of it not all of the bible is at all pointing to one entity or deity quote unquote lord but here's who who's being identified as the lord to the people at this time verse 12 then solomon spoke the lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud so now solomon is saying he seems to be quoting what the lord has told has said previously Again, that contradicts what we read in places like John in the New Testament, the very first chapter, and what it says. But that's, we've been over that again and again, so I won't dwell on it. But now Solomon is giving a quote of um, the Lord's presence 
being in those dark clouds. Verse 13, I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever. So Solomon is saying he's built this house of worship for the Lord forever. And again, we've read before how forever is not really forever. It's temporary. Uh, and it's even when the quote unquote Lord says forever in some of the places we've read it, it turns out it wasn't forever at all. It was temporary. So could it really be from the Lord if the Lord says forever and it's not forever? It seems to me it would not be, but that's just my opinion. Believe what you want. Verse 14, then the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel was standing. So now um, he's basically giving his blessing on all of the things that have been constructed. Solomon, that is. Verse 15, and he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father David, David, and with his hand has fulfilled it, saying. So now um, Solomon is saying, um, praise be to God, basically, um, because he's made the promise to his father, King David, and now it's being fulfilled in his time. Verse 16, since the day that I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I've chosen no city from any tribe of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. So now it's reflecting back. Solomon is reflecting back on the time when uh, before the temple was built and how David had the uh, thought of building a temple, a holy place to the Lord. Verse 17. Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple. For the name of the Lord God of Israel. So like I just said, David intended to, or at least had a mind to, build a church, temple, holy place. Verse 18, but the Lord said to my father David, whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. So um, Solomon is reflecting back on when David wanted to build it, but the Lord was like, yeah, it's enough that you thought to build it, uh, but it's not going to be you who build it. Verse 19, nevertheless, you shall not build the temple, but your son who will come from your body, he shall build the temple for my name. So he's reflecting back on that time when Solomon was the one chosen to be builder of the temple, not King David. Verse 20, so the Lord has fulfilled his word, which he spoke, and I have filled the position of my father David and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. And I have built a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. So Solomon is um, reflecting on that. The fact that David wanted to, but Solomon is the one who actually did it. Just as it was told he would. Verse 21. And there I have made a place for the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord, which he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. So he's saying the ark that has those Ten Commandments in it now has a place um, in the holy place. Verse 22, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. So now he's sort of giving a benediction. He's giving a prayer, to um, a dedication to uh, of the whole, of, of the construction he's made. And he's basically giving its blessing, giving it a blessing in front of everyone. Verse 23, and he said, Lord God of Israel, there's no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. 
So um, he's Solomon here is um, uh, giving praise basically to God, and God here is being uh, identified as by Solomon as Jehovah, Elohim. Those are the translation, the words that are translated um, to Lord God in English. Um, that's who he's giving praise to um, at this point in his um, prayer. Verse 24, you've kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You've both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. He's saying the Lord was able to bring it to pass, the promise, the words he spoke to David previously in the simple being instructed by Solomon. Verse 25, therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David. My father is saying you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel only in your only if your sons take heed to their way that they walk before me as you have walked before me. So he's reflecting now on the contingency that was given to David that he'd always have a place in God's eyes among his descendants in God's presence among his descendants as long as they were faithful to uh, the Lord. And um, you know that turned out not to be the case. Because uh, they weren't always faithful, including Solomon. Um, uh, but that's what he's reflecting on at this point. Verse 26, And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you've spoken to your servant David, my father. So he's praying that the promise, the agreement made with David come to pass. Verse 27, But God, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I built. So now he's making a humble statement about how great and grand God is that um, God fills the entire creation, the universe, um, and can't really be contained within a house built by man. Verse 28, yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today. So he's saying, even though that's the case, that you take up the entire universe, Lord, please hear me, is what Solomon is saying. Verse 29, that your eyes may be open toward this temple night and day, toward the place of which you said, my name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place. So now he's, um, Solomon is saying, um, that praying that the Lord hears the prayers made toward that temple that's being built in dedication to the Lord. Verse 30, and may you hear the supplication of your servant and all of your people and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Here in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. So now he's saying, let the temple be a point of contact, basically, between God in heaven and the people on earth. That when they pray toward the temple, the Lord will hear the prayers made toward that place, the temple. Verse 31, when anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath before your altar in his temple. So he's prayed that prayers of forgiveness be heard when they're directed toward the temple. Now he's saying in other cases also, when people fall into hard times, and so forth, and also pray toward the altar in the temple. Verse 32, then hear in heaven and act, and judge your servants, condemning the wicked, bringing uh, 
his way on his head and justifying the righteous by giving him according to his righteousness. So he's saying, he's praying there, Solomon is praying there, that the Lord will act as judge um, between the wicked and the righteous um, when it's brought, directed toward the temple. Verse 33, when your people Israel are defeated before an enemy because they've sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and confess your name and pray, make supplication to you in this temple. So he's saying in another instance, when the people fall into war and are defeated and make prayers and supplications toward the temple, verse 34, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people, Israel, and bring them back to the land which you gave to their fathers. So he's asking that the people be redeemed when they pray toward the temple and that the Lord forgive them and return them to their so-called promised land. Um, but remember, the temple's long gone. The temple was destroyed. This is the first one. A second one was built, and it also was destroyed. But this is where it's at in the narrative at this point. Verse 35, when the heavens are shut up and there's no rain because they've sinned against you, when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you, you afflict them. So now Solomon is saying when the people fall into hard times because they've been disobedient, and nature, the earth, turns on them, and they fall into drought and so forth, and pray about it, directing it toward the temple. Verse 36, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, that you may teach them the good way in which they should walk, and send rain on your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. So he's praying that the Lord hears the prayers made toward the temple, even in times of famine and drought. And that the Lord respond favorably when people do pray toward the temple. Verse 37, when there is famine in the land, pestilence or blight or mildew, locusts or grasshoppers, when their enemy besieges them in the land of their cities, whatever plague or whatever sickness there is. So he's saying whatever thing it is, plague, sickness, animals, creatures, mold, mildew, whatever it may be that overtakes the people. When they pray toward the temple, they pray, and Solomon is saying, verse 38, whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people, Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hands toward this temple. So he's saying, whatever the case may be that people come across that afflicts them when they pray toward the temple, verse 39, then here in heaven, your dwelling place and forgive and act. And give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men. So now Solomon is saying that God knows our hearts and knows what's right and wrong and what's brewing in our hearts. And that when people pray toward that temple, in whatever state of dismay they may find themselves, that the Lord will hear and judge righteously. That's his prayer. Verse 40, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you gave to our fathers. So he's saying that while they're there colonizing the land of the Canaanites, the so-called holy land, that as long as they pray toward the temple, the Lord will act on their behalf. Verse 41, moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, but has come from a far country for your name's sake. So now Solomon is even extending his prayer for the temple to include the foreigners who have joined themselves to the Israelites. 
And when they pray, verse 42, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm when he comes and prays toward this temple. So now he's saying when even foreigners pray toward the temple. Verse 43, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all of which the foreigner calls you, to you, that all, the, that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. So now Solomon is in, even including prayers for foreigners, which you don't always see, which we haven't always read happen, which also, by the way, like we've read, and foreigners are forbidden for certain foreigners are forbidden from even being a part of the congregation and yet they've been married into the congregation again and again and solomon is probably one of the greatest examples of it happening since he's going to have hundreds of wives and many of them are foreigners verse 44 but he's still saying a prayer for them and that they the foreigners um prayers toward the temple be heard and answered also verse 44 when your people go to bat go out to battle against their enemy wherever you send them and when they pray to the lord toward the city which you've chosen and the temple which i have built for your name so he's saying even when the people are out in the battlefields and make prayers toward the temple verse 45 then hear in heaven their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause so he's saying even when people are out to war, when they pray toward the temple, he prays that God hears it and actually hears it and acts on their behalf. Verse 46, when they sin against you, there's no one who does not sin and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy and they take them captive to the land of the enemy far or near. So he's saying even when people sin and make their prayers, uh, when the sinful make prayers toward the temple also, or even make prayers after they've been caught up in their sin and taken captive, he's he's um, correlating the sin with the captivity in that verse. Um, that when that time comes, which again, it, it's going to come, it happens. Um, he's saying when that happens, verse 47, yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive, and repent and make supplication to you in the land of those who took them captive saying we've sinned and done wrong we've committed wickedness he's saying when people have been taken captive by other nations because of again relating it to their sinfulness and unfaithfulness to god when that happens and people realize and they repent he's saying uh verse 48 and when they return to you with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who led them away captive and pray to you toward their land which you gave to their fathers the city which you have chosen and the temple which i have built for your name so he's saying when that moment comes when people have been taken captive to other foreign lands and they realize it's because they've been unfaithful or been sinful and make that prayer toward the temple even from foreign lands far away Verse 49, then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. So he's saying, he's praying, Solomon is saying this. He prays that God will hear no matter where the people are, even when they've been carried away captive to faraway lands. Once they repent, he prays that God hears it from that temple when they pray toward that temple. 
verse 50. And forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you and grant them compassion before those who took them captive that they may have compassion on them. So in a sense, Solomon is um, praying for future generations also who will be taken captive when they've fallen into idolatry, unfaithfulness, and sin and been taken captive somewhere else. When they repent, he prays with them that they will be heard and answered affirmatively from God. Verse 51, for they are your people and your inheritance whom you brought out of Egypt, out of the iron furnace. So he's reflecting back on the time when the people were enslaved in Africa and rescued from that enslavement, emancipated from the slavery and taken up originally 400 plus years ago from this point um, in the narrative. Not to mention the 400 plus years they were in Africa. Verse 52, that your eyes may be open to the supplication of your servant and the supplication of your people Israel to listen to them whenever they call to you. So he's saying whenever the people call on the Lord, wherever they are, whenever whatever issues in life may have sprung up on them, when they pray toward the temple, he's praying that God hears it and answers the prayers made toward that temple. Verse 53, for you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your inheritance as you spoke to your servant Moses who, when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, our, O Lord God. So he's saying that the fact that the people were chosen as a special inheritance, um, that the Lord should remember that when they were rescued from the enslavement in Africa and um, delivered by those different miracles and signs and wonders as they're called from the land of Egypt to where they are now. Verse 54, and so it was when Solomon had finished praying all this prayer and supplication to the Lord, that he arose from before the altar of the Lord, from kneeling on his knees, <clears throat> excuse me, with his hands spread up to heaven. So now Solomon has finished his prayer and dedication of the temple um, verse 55, then he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying, so now he's said his prayer, now he's announcing a, bl a blessing for the people. Verse 56, blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. There's not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised through his servant Moses. So he's saying there that um, the Lord has been faithful to the different promises made to Moses um, to this point. And I guess that depends on how you can, um, how you, um, what you call faithful, because uh, the people were promised that they'd be able to defeat their enemies and their enemies would flee 10 different ways before them. That happened sometimes, but sometimes the enemies made them flee. But then it was all, it would usually be uh, talked up as the, to the, to the people being unfaithful and that's why it failed but again a lot of this is written retrospectively it's not being written as it happens it's being written and rewritten and edited it seems by people who look back on the events and may have uh, attributed some of those failings to unfaithfulness um, not necessarily being the case when it happened verse 57 May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. May he not leave us nor forsake us. So now Solomon is going on to his prayer 
that the Lord be with us and not forsake us. 58, that he may incline our hearts to himself, to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, which he commanded our fathers. So he's saying there that um, he's praying that the Lord keep the people faithful to the commandments, but also he's including the statutes and judgments, um, which again, were not a part of those original 10 commandments at all. Those statutes and judgments are religion. That's where religion kept crept in and put their uh, thumb on the scale to help um, introduce all sorts of things that the people are supposed to be bound, bound by according to religion, but not by those original Ten Commandments. Verse 59, And made these words of mine with which I have made supplication before the Lord, be near the Lord our God day and night, that he may maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel as each day may require. So that's basically like when Jesus gives us what's called the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. That's what Solomon is praying for here. That day by day, the Lord attends to the needs and prayers of the people. Verse 60, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. So um, again, Lord here is being translated, the word Lord in English being translated from the Hebrew word Jehovah. <clears throat> Excuse me, and God being translated from the word Elohim. Um, but again, that's not consistent throughout the Bible, uh, particularly the Old Testament, we've seen Lord also be uh, translated from the words Yah and El and uh, others, other words, names and words being translated to the English word Lord. So it's not consistent, just so we understand as a footnote. Verse 61, let your heart therefore be loyal to the Lord our God to walk in his statutes and keep his commandments as at this day. So now he's admonishing the people to stay faithful to the Lord with his prayer. Verse 62, then the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifices before the Lord. So now the animal sacrifices um, are being mentioned. Again, a lot like a barbecue. Verse 63, and Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered to the Lord. 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. So again, burnt offerings doesn't mean they're being burnt to a crisp to their ashes. It means they're going to be barbecued, basically. And thousands and thousands of animals being sacrificed. That couldn't possibly all be done in one day. Even in a slaughterhouse, mechanica, me, mechanical slaughterhouse in, in modern times, it would be uh, a feat to slaughter and also sacrifice that many animals in one day. Um, but that's what's happening here, at least the way it reads, um, for the sacrifice uh, for the dedication of the temple and the buildings around it. Verse 64, on the same day, the king consecrated the middle of the court that was in front of the house of the Lord. For there he offered burnt offerings, grain offerings, and the fat of the peace offerings, because the bronze altar that was before the Lord was too small to receive the burnt offerings, the grain offerings, and the fat of the peace offerings. So there's so many animals being slaughtered and sacrificed that the altar there isn't even large enough for all those sacrifices. 
verse 65, at that time Solomon had held a feast and all Israel with him, a great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt before the Lord our God, seven days and seven more days, 14 days. So now that sounds more like it. It's taking two weeks to slaughter all those animals. And it is indeed a feast. It's not like they're being burnt to ashes. They're burnt offerings, but that just means their animal sacrifices being made over fire, a barbecue. And the people, all of the congregation, uh, it seems, are gathered there for a great assembly, as it's called, to take part in it. So there's plenty of food to go around, plenty of barbecue being made and passed around for the people for those 14 days. Verse 66, on the eighth day, he sent the people away and they blessed the king and went to their tents, joyful and glad of heart for all the good that the Lord had done for his servant David and for Israel, his people. So the people are being sent home on the eighth day, probably with to-go plates um, with them, since there's a whole lot of animals being sacrificed and barbecued and roasted for the people. Uh, for the sacrifice of dedication of the temple. And the people are overjoyed, probably with all the food that they're being, uh, among other things, that they've been given to take back home with them. That was the last verse. So that's the last part of this chapter. So that's where we're in this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. I hope you'll join me again. I hope it's a blessing for you. I love you for joining me for it. Stay safe. God bless you. I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.